Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where last week, while on assignment, I had tea with the Queen of England. Oh, wait, I must have misremembered that. Good morning to you, Mr. Williams, and good morning, folks. Thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nahum's Eagle Network. You can find me here after Allison and right before Nahum's live lunch. Welcome to Nahum, coming to you from the home of the Nahum's Eagle Network on the beautifully chilly and quite icy Lower East Side. I'm joined by Avrami behind the board. Good morning, Avram. Boker Tov. How are you? Thank God, doing all right. Yeah, how was your commute? Um, I don't know, it felt a little bit too short or something. <laughs> Has Baltimore gotten closer to Manhattan than no one knows about? I, or maybe I just didn't sleep so well, I don't know. No. It, was, it was very, very warm on the bus. It's Ew. been a while since it's been that warm on the bus, but That's I made gross. it here all right, Baruch Hashem, so no complaints or anything. It's good to be here, it's good to be in New York for a little bit and still seeing snow on the ground. <laughs> oh, don't worry, because if you're here by 2 o'clock, I'm sure you'll see more. <laughs> yes, we are expecting more snow. Oh my! Look who just walked in the studio. Why, why, why? Oh, great. That means that the critique of my show begins this morning at 10.30 as opposed to 10 to 11. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fun for me. Um, yes, we are uh, expecting more snow tonight, but if you looked uh, this morning on social media, you could see plenty of pictures of the northern part of Israel and Tzfat all covered in snow. I actually retweeted some of those pictures. You can always go to my Facebook page or my Twitter handle, and uh, check those pictures out there. If you new list- if you are a new listener, oh, sorry, Boker Tov, Danny. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. Follow us on Twitter, Nachum Siegel Net, all one word, Miriam L. Wallach, all one word. I do need to make two announcements. Number one, Danny, I did not win Powerball last night. That means no one's getting coffee. And number two, I am now being followed on Twitter by the Musser Institute, which I have to tell you is quite intimidating. Let's do some national holidays. Yeah, the Muster Institute. This is what these people do for a living. They probably target me. It's like when I think Charlie's actually just speaking to me for an hour. Oh, I'm going to do the fortune cookie first, and then we're going to do the national holiday. Because the most interesting national holiday is actually tomorrow. But let's do the fortune cookie. Let's play these numbers. Uh, The thought that leads to no action is not thought. It is dreaming. You like that? That's so hokey. Why do you like this? You better I have guess a good I'm reason. Hokey. All right. You know what? This one's yours. The number's are yours. I'm not macabre at all. Uh, today is National Holidays. It is Lincoln's birthday. It is also NAACP Day. It is Safety Pup Day. But tomorrow is really important, Rummy, because tomorrow is Blame Someone Else Day, <laughs> which should also be dubbed in the Wallach household, Throw Someone Under the Bus Day, or here at work, Have Fun at Work Day. <laughs> Blame Someone Else Day sounds like every other Friday in the Wallach household. I also want to make mention that the birds are quiet today. So if you think you're not hearing anything, that's because you're not. I want to thank our friends at Kedem. I had an excellent time at the KFWE the other day. I attended the press event along with Danny, who swears I've never taken him to a more fun event in his entire life. Um, I was also there with other members of the network. My thanks to everyone involved. It really was a fantastic, fantastic event. And to the uh, two guys who swore that they were not trying to pick me up, you might want to move away from the sampling tables. Also, a little reminder, Nachum will be speaking this Sunday at the Suburban Torah Center in Livingston, New Jersey. Shachris is at 8.30 and Breakfast Plus Lecture begin around 9.15, the topic. So when does he dive at Nahum Siegel on prayer, priorities, and people? If you're in the neighborhood or the surrounding communities, make sure to be there. Nahum, as you know, has a number of incredible stories, and I can tell you that these stories will both entertain and inspire. Our guest is on the phone. I'd like to introduce our guest. It's the first time that... This, uh, that this guest, this blogger, this, oh, this person just left the studio? Not, 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 the, not the guest on the phone. 
my uh, my boss is now standing outside the studio. Maybe there'll be two minutes less of criticism at 11 o'clock. Anyway, Penny Jolin is, is a blogger and experiential education consultant. She joins us on the phone. Good morning, Penny. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for joining me this morning. I know it was short notice, but I do appreciate you making the time, so thank you for that. Anytime. You know, it was interesting as I was looking through your bio, and we'll go through your bio a little bit um, into the interview. I didn't realize that you and I both share a master's in education in the same department, um, early adolescent education from Bank Street, which I thought was fascinating. I don't, I don't think I ever appreciated that. I mean, we both have a passion and a love for education, but the fact that our being oversized adolescents. <laughs> really? I like to think about it as like appreciating adolescence. <laughs> really? Because I think that you know, as a person who taught middle school education for middle school English for a while, and you, uh, as I know from your bio, taught high school and various other topics. It really takes one to know one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's yeah. absolutely true. So, yeah. so when I was reading through your blog, and we'll talk about your blog as well, it's called Penny's Two Cents, um, and I'll give everybody the blog information towards the end of the interview. Tell me, when you, when you get that question of, so experiential education, that's like being a camp counselor. I mean, that made me laugh out loud. But just so that our readers really appreciate it, you are not a camp counselor. I, no, I was in my past a camp counselor, but experiential education is a little richer, not to belittle the camp counselor experience, but it is a little richer than uh, just being a camp counselor. Okay, so then explain the difference. For those people who are like, yeah, it's a fancier <laughs> title for camp counselor. <laughs> explain the difference. Most of the population. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so a camp counselor is awesome and takes care of kids and connects with kids, a good camp counselor, and helps them discover things in camp that they might not have the opportunity to discover in a regular school setting, and kids usually love their camp counselor, and it's an awesome position to be in. Uh, camp counselors are generally not educated or trained as educators in any way, shape, or form. They might get a little training in the beginning of camp, but that's about it. Okay. Experiential education is looking at education and seeing how you can make it more engaging for students uh, and appeal to students in a broader, more meaningful way. So for me, I started in experiential education because school for me in elementary school and middle school was not easy. I was bored a lot in class, not because I'm a genius or anything like that, but because engaging with material is something that's uh, meaningful for me and and gets me connected to the material in a way that, want, that makes me want to learn more. Um, and I found through my experiences teaching and also being a student that that's effective for lots of people. Lots of people want to be more engaged than just sitting in a classroom with someone telling them information. Kind of seemed like a no-brainer to me. So the chalk and talk is not something that appeals to everyone, which we agree, which we agree on. But right. could you say that experiential education is some, something that a could appeal to everyone, regardless of their um, preferred modality for, for, you know, receiving or imparting information? Absolutely. Good experiential education should appeal to everybody. So it should have aspects that will appeal to every kind of learner or person's interest to a certain extent, some more than others for different experiential activities or experiential modes. But yes, for sure, everyone should be able to be happy with experiential education. So then how do you win over the non-believer? I mean, I made fun of Avrami a minute ago, which I may make fun of him again in a minute. Yeah, I know. Sorry, buddy. Um, I, I made fun of him for being hokey. And there are definitely people who are going to look at an experiential education 
um, exp- uh, moment or lesson or trip or, or event, I don't even know what the right term is, and say, right, I think this is great. I'm getting my hands dirty, but I don't know that I would be able to quantify or classify the amount of, uh, in- the amount of information or any information into a skill or to articulate what particular lessons I got out of this. How do you win over the non-believer? Well, I think part of it is that the non-believer has to see it in action so that they don't just think it's project-based education where here you go, um, I want you to build a sukkah because it's sukkahs. Wow, isn't this so nice that you learned about sukkahs? It's not that. It's a more meaningful and um, more layered and nuanced approach that would have you, for example, in a classroom. So if you're learning about Sukkot, so you would go through the sources of Sukkot in the Mishnah, what what a sukkah has to look like, what it can't look like, and then you can assign the students to design their own sukkah based on whatever the laws that they learned, or to make it more advanced, give them guiding principles or guiding questions, hand over the material to them, and help them through learning the material while they design their one-of-a-kind sukkah. Um, And then afterwards, some kind of assessment. It's not just, wow, your sukkah looks awesome, but have them either explain or um, write up or any kind of presentation that can show you the nuances of what they have done. So it's not just, here, build a sukkah, but it's more layered, more nuanced, more intricate than that. But are you going to a principal, are you going to a school board and explaining to them and showing them the curriculum that you have designed, the, you know, enumerating all of the different things that the students are going to get out of it and still facing questions like, but how are we going to be able to show that on a test? Yes. Yes, that happens a lot. Right. Yeah, I was in a meeting once in a school and explaining how in high school I wanted to do experiential education, and they looked at me like I was an alien. (laughs) (laughs) They said, what do you mean? How would you teach Jewish history this way? So I gave an example, and they said, but then what do you do for the test? And I said, well, you don't always need to give a test. You can assess in other ways. And if I gave a test, presumably if this was presented well, they could answer all of the questions. So a number of years ago, it's funny that you bring that up, a number of years ago, um, while I was still in the classroom, I remember mentoring somebody else, um, also in English, who kept on saying, you know, but I need to finish the curriculum. I need to, what happens if I don't finish? I'm like, and what happens if you don't finish? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like, right, exactly. you know, the world doesn't end and everything is going to be fine. But when you're when you're thinking about high school and I and I can reflect right now on my two high schoolers, one of whom is starting the college application process, <laughs> which I say with great trepidation. And the other one who is only in ninth grade. And yet we had college night last night that there is so much focus placed on um, being able to transfer information and transmit that information and that it, it should um it should manifest itself in in appropriate scoring or appropriate testing. We can't throw all the tests out, so there has to be a way that we can um, that we can look at experiential education and say, yeah, what's going on outside the classroom is as important. What's going on in in the classroom, and we can gauge both um, experiences through some kind of test assessment. Right. I don't think experiential education means there's no testing. But I think that its goal is to make education more meaningful and more engaging to the point that students want to learn and want to engage in the material and then make it their own, and then that makes testing easier because then they really know the material. 
Um, so ideally, in my world, in my ideal world, experiential education would be how all classrooms function. Currently, that is not my ideal world. doesn't work like that. Um, but that would be the ultimate goal, that, that that kind of education would mean that testing might not be what they're normally used to, but they could easily answer whatever it is that was on the test. Remind me for a second the name of that school whose video you posted on your blog. Uh, um, it is called the Rurana Park School in Australia. It is the coolest school I've ever seen. Right. So explain to I watch the video, and for me to watch something that's six minutes long that's not written by Aaron Sorkin is really quite impressive. So, right. So let's give – do me a favor and just give the our, our listeners a little bit of an overview of why that school to you is so great and how it fits – how it works, experiential education, into everything that it does. Okay. So basically it's an elementary school, and it um, makes everything experiential. So, for example, in one grade they built this – model of a ship, um, and attached to the ship are different computers and guidance systems and things like that. So they have an area where students can, um, I guess, essentially pretend that they are guiding the ship, and then they need to get from point A to point B and learn about things like geography and how the ocean works and what they should be looking for and sonar and radar and things like that. Um, and then they have another section on the ship where they're going to need to learn about the history of the ship and how ships are built and what makes them float. And um, another section, which is just like the reading section of the ship, where you can just sit and read and relax like one essentially could, I guess, on a ship, um, and things like that to make it uh, an experience that's very interactive, very engaging. Um, I'm sure after a few months the allure of it wears off, but it's still that engaging opportunity of putting what you're learning into action. And you can essentially almost teach anything that way. And so that's just one grade they have. They have a spaceship on another for another grade and et cetera, et cetera. It's interesting, though, when I think about it, <clears throat> excuse me, is that when I meet former students of mine, and I'm sure you get this all the time, when you meet former students who've had that unbelievable experience with you because it's so out of the box, and in your case, it's out of the classroom, and, you, and you've touched them in a way or inspired them or made them think in a way that is unusual to the, how shall we say, the consistent or normal, I don't even know what the right word is, approach to education or to a particular topic or curriculum, they come back at you and they remember that moment like it happened yesterday. And for me, it's a particular lesson that I did with lemons. And as an English teacher bringing in a, a bucket of lemons, like, yeah, already you have them because they're interested and in, you've piqued their curiosities. So, so. I have to imagine, though, that you get that all the time. Um, I would like to get that more than all the time. Um, I don't <laughs> get that all the time, partly because people just kind of take for granted their experiential education experiences. Um, I worked in camp for many, many years as an educator, not giving classes, but doing the experiential education in camp. And there are times when people will come over to me and, and say, oh, I remember that activity, and I know now the you know, geography of Israel or something like that. Um, but I think often because we are giving this message of, like, experiential education is the watered-down version of whatever it is, mm. um, so then that kind of trickles down. And even if you had a great experience, that's not going to be – it will be the experience that lasts with you. Like, if you ask people to write down what were the most meaningful experiences in high school, they're probably not writing down their math class. But they <laughs> might write down their Shabbaton. Or they might write down Model UN, which actually just right. took place a couple of days ago. And my daughter had yet another great experience 
at Model UN, and it's something that she talks about for days, and it's something that she looks forward right. to. And I don't think that, and even, I mean, she's she's a bright kid, and she's, uh, you know, uh, mature enough to understand that there's definitely something important going on throughout the entire experience, but I don't think she gets a quarter of, or, or appreciates a quarter of the skills. Right, so that's a great example of experiential education, Model UN. And, and explain, I mean, I appreciate it, but from your point of view as an experiential educator, wow, you must have a really big business card. Um, explain to me in your words what the best things are that come out of that experience for a kid. Well, I think empowerment is huge in Model UN. Um, and just the appreciation for what goes into preparing for Model UN. Mm. I mean, students aren't just right. handed a pamphlet and said, you know, here, learn about Cuba, right. they need to become Cuba. <laughs> and then they need to represent Cuba having to do with any, it, not only headline issues, but issues that are, seem somewhat mundane, I'm sure, to teenagers. And then they interact and they become that country to the point that after Model UN, years later, you can say, oh, Cuba, what did they think in 2015 about, and they could rattle it off for you because it's like a totally engaging experience. It's incredible. It really is. It's something that I appreciated when I was in high school. Is there something, is there an ideal program that you wish every yeshiva high school, and let's focus on yeshiva high schools for a second, Let is there a, a, an experiential education that if you could implement one in every yeshiva high school that you would do, like a baby project or a, a dream project of yours that you've hoped or you've nurtured and, and you've thought about that you really know will make a major difference in the Jewish community and our future leaders? Wow, that's a huge question. Do you, want me to buy, um, do you want me to buy you some time? Yes. Okay, so Penny Joel joins us on the air. <laughs> she is an experiential educator, and she's a Jewish education, and experiential education Jewish, I can't even get it out, experiential <laughs> Jewish education consultant. She's also the director of the Sandy Teen Fellowships at the Federation in the Heart of New Jersey, which we'll talk about in a second after she figures out an answer to my other question. She's completing her doctorate, by the way, in Jewish education at the Israeli School of Jewish Education at Yeshiva University. She was previously the director of Israel Guidance at a number of different schools, and she has taught many different classes, including Halacha, Tanakh, and Jewish history. She has, as we mentioned previously, an MSED in early education, early adolescent education from Bank Street. And now let's get back to that topic, Penny. I can't, I can't let you, I can't let it go. I'm sorry. I need to know everyone has a dream. Actually, I don't have one dream thing because I think it really depends on the school. Some schools, Mm. Um, having a program, an experiential year-long curriculum about um, spirituality or connecting to God would be great, and in some schools that would be a disaster. Um, And some schools, looking at something else like the world and how we interact with it, an experiential program Mm -hmm. focusing on that would be great. So I don't know that there's a one, here's a great program for every school. I think every school and community is a little bit different. Well, that is an excellent answer. I, I will. I, I'm happy I got you the time. By the way, just you know, to to segue for a second, as as you were previously a director of Israel Guidance and a member of the Judaic Studies program uh, department, I should say, at Westchester Hebrew High School, it's amazing to me the number of of seminaries and yeshivot that have sprouted throughout Israel that offer experiential education programs for students for students from abroad that that um have a balance of both in, uh, in, in textual learning, in-depth learning, and also getting out of the classroom, going into that experiential right. opportunities. Right. How, yes. have, how have you seen that evolve? Um, I think part of it is, tr- is recognizing that 
one size does not fit all. Mm. Um, and especially if we want our students to feel connected to Torah and to Torah learning, uh, the best way to do that is to find ways that connect to people. So I think that that recognition is very important. I think also in Israel, they recognize experiential education differently because youth movements have a whole different um, role in Israel, and that's all about experiential education. So that also plays a role in how the educators in Israel see education. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because there is something, I mean, at the end of the day, there is something about the the classic connection about Israelis and the land and the ability to roll up your sleeves, both literally and figuratively, that connects people to the earth right. in, in a different way. So I agree with you. There is, I, I, I didn't think of it that way, but, but I definitely appreciate it. And let's talk for a second about the, um, the Sandy Teen Fellows and, Se- and Sandy Senior Fellows um, program, which you, of which you are the director. Talk about how that came about and what the goal is. Okay, so... Um... After Hurricane Sandy, the Federation, at the time the Federation in Monmouth County, was looking for ways to both address um, the needs of the people who were affected by Hurricane Sandy and engage teens in a meaningful activity. Uh, And they came up with this idea of having a fellowship that focused on helping people rebuild their homes who were affected by Hurricane Sandy and teaching about Jewish social justice. So essentially the program's goals are to teach uh, teens about Jewish social justice, what's Jewish about social mm-hmm. justice, what does that mean, how to advocate, um, what kind of role they can play in changing the world in things that they see are unjust. Um, and while talkless, uh, going out to, we work with a, an organization called Seabright Rising and actually helping rebuild homes wow. for people who are still out of their homes. And there are still hundreds of people who have not moved back to their homes because they need to be rebuilt. Isn't it amazing? I mean, when you tell people you're still rebuilding homes for people post-Sandy, they probably look at you, again, like you're an alien. Yes, I just keep picking things like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they they are surprised. Like, oh, there's probably like 10, and like there's hundreds of people who are still not in their homes. Unbelievable. It really is quite, it's quite tragic. And what do these students, when they say to you, when you said to them, pick up a hammer, you know? They are so excited. Oh. Because they look at it, and often I think when people tell teens to volunteer, they're like sorting cans or something like that, which is important, but doesn't really feel the same way. But here, when they're tearing down siding, and then, you know, two months later coming back and drywalling, they literally are building somebody's house, and they love it. It is so empowering. That's that's pretty cool. I'm not sure I want my house built by you, i got to be honest. But, I have uh, to say, I'm surprised at how quickly they get houses up. It does make me a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's keep that between us. Okay. Uh, you can follow Penny, by the way. You can read Penny's blog called Penny's Two Cents at pennyjoelblog.tumblr.com. Um, very interesting stuff and, and definitely things to to help you keep an open mind about experiential education. Always appreciate the fact that your kids can learn as much outside of the classroom as they can inside. Uh, Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Penny Joel, thanks so much for joining me. I look forward to reading more of my pleasure. I look forward to reading more of your blog posts. Keep them coming. Thanks. All right. Have a great day. You too. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Let's go through the lineup, and I'm sure in about a minute or so, or two minutes, Avrami's going to bring up a song coming up in the background. So don't be alarmed. That's not your hearing. It's just Avrami. We have a full afternoon of programming right after That's Life. It's a live lunch hosted by Nahum starting at 11 o'clock. We start with brunch. We end with lunch. It ends at 1 o'clock. 1 p.m., the world according to Gorf. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. Jordan B. Gorfunkel takes over the stunt show and is joined by an actual stuntman. Yes. 
On today's stunt show, Gorf takes you away from the winter blues with his interview with Eyal Zimit, the Israeli top 10 beach volleyball star. Unfortunately, there is no video component to this interview. He is also a Hollywood stuntman, plus the latest installment of Purim Torami Star Trek, answering the timely question of how much Romulan ale must one drink to fulfill the mitzvah of not being able to tell the hero Kirk apart from the villain Khan. Yes, I just read that and I got it all right. Woohoo! On today's stun show. Only with Gorf, right? Only with Gorf. Throwback Thursday at 2 p.m. Michael Fragan and Spin Class are new next week with a French fresh show. The encore today at 6 p.m. Or are we going to... Uh, we're going to play the stream at 6 p.m.? All right. We have an encore ready. We're going to encore Michael. He'll be new next week. Join Nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 as he hosts Jam and AM live here on the stream. NachumSiegel.com. Malcolm Holmline joins the show at around 7.40 in the morning. Tomorrow morning, as we have been promoting. And incre- Oh, there we go. That's my shout-out to my kids. We're listening to Chai by the Chevra. That is my attempt to encourage or excite my kids about actually listening to my show one week. Anyway, tomorrow morning, it's an incredibly supersized edition of Naomi Table for Two live at Gourmet Lot from 9 to 10.30 with a supersized show. Cooking demonstration samples, returning fan favorites like Seth Levitt. That was a mouthful, fan favorites. Seth Levitt from Abels and Hyman, Schiffer Klein from Joy of Kosher, a new guest, Dahlia Abraham Klein, author of Spiritual Spiritual Needing. She will join the program with a challah baking demo. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull this Saturday night. 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday morning. It's JM Sunday from 7 to 9 with Matis. Mazel tov to Rochelle and Mark Zamek on being honored at this year's Young Israel of Teaneck dinner this Matzei Shabbat. I don't go to my own shul dinner, but I'm going to yours because that is love. I'm closing with Chai. Again, that's off the latest CD by the Chevra. Shout out to listener Shoshana in Lawrence. I hope you're not actually listening in class is all I have to say. That's live, everybody. Bye, guys. <laughs>